The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Save big money on your outdoor project now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save big money at Menards. This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. Welcome into No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I am Luke Worsham, joined by one of the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Will Lomas. Matias is out this week, so it will just be the two of us. I'm sure we will have a... uh, a great time with just the two of us. You can follow us on social media at No Nonsense Pod, both Twitter and Facebook. There, you can also to get easier access to our show, make it easier for you to know when episodes have come out. Subscribe to us on whatever platform you're using to listen, whether that be Stitcher or Spotify or iTunes or any of our other platforms. Um, and if you're listening on iTunes, please go and leave us a, um, a rating and review. That really helps out. Great show for you today. We're going to be recapping a second straight. Titans win. Well, first time this season that we've done that. Yeah, it feels uncomfortable. It feels like I'm being tricked or lied to to string together <laughs> wins instead of losses. But yeah, it, it was nice to finally beat, you know, a team, even if it was just Jameis Winston's Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We're, we're also going to talk about uh, uh, running back Derek Henry, who has an expiring contract mm-hmm. at the end of the season. Uh, then we're going to look ahead a little bit to the Carolina Panthers, who are the Titans' next opponent. But before we get into any of that, uh, will the trade deadline passed at 3 p.m. Central Time on a Tuesday afternoon, and nothing happened for the Titans. There was some speculation out there that were they going to trade Mariota? Could the Bears have potentially been interested in that? Uh, but ultimately, nothing came of that. So what are your thoughts on on that, that that nothing came of the trade deadline for the Titans. I mean, sitting here on a Tuesday, it's always a little bit boring when you see other teams making moves, even if it's, you know, moves that were made yesterday or moves that were made that don't really matter or whatever. You, you always want to be kind of part of the excitement of, you know, oh, Ken, maybe Kenyon Drake is the missing piece. And, you know, there was Le'Veon Bell speculation. And we got a little bit excited about that because we thought, you know, what if we had a receiving back in this offense that wasn't Deion Lewis? So I, I think when the draft rolls around, I'll be happy they have the picks they do. But at the same time, like, 
there's some trades that could have possibly been made for a seventh or sixth round pick, or at least those are the rumors that you kind of would have liked to see the Titans do. But at this point, I guess the locker room's kind of settled the way it is and the starters are who they are. So why change it, especially when you're on a two game winning streak? Yeah. And you know, it feels like every year fans convince themselves that the NFL trade deadline is going to become like the baseball trade deadline, which typically is very, very active, uh, you know, p- players getting shipped out with expiring contracts. But as we were talking about before the show, all that really happens every year, and it held true this year, is there's really two ways that a player gets traded. Uh, way number one is they request a trade. That was sort of the Jalen Ramsey situation. Uh, but way number two is they're an older player with an expiring contract, or in Drake's case, a younger player with an expiring contract, on a bad team that's not going to re-sign them and doesn't want to uh, pay the money and wants to get something out of them other than a compensatory draft pick. But this idea that you're going to go out and you know it, it get uh, Jamal Adams if you're the Dallas Cowboys, which was, was a rumor that was out there, or get Trent Williams if you're the Cleveland Browns, you know, all of those sorts of things are just kind of imaginary. And the Odell Beckham trade, which very much was that over the offseason, uh, not only are those things the exception uh, to the rule, but those don't happen mid-season, you know? It just feels like a lot of hoopla for nothing. Yeah, I mean, I think, like we've talked about, the, the NFL shifted more towards that model where younger general managers are taking over and they're not afraid to trade picks or trade players for picks or make moves because it's not so much about what you can do three years down the line, four years down the line anymore. I mean, Houston, which is a bad example of how to run a franchise. I mean, just look at Bill O'Brien, who's given away, you know, picks and players and somehow has ended up with, you know, I, 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 the team's fine, but like, he doesn't have much to show for the picks with Tunsil kind of getting banged up and not being super great. And, you know, with Clowney being pretty good at a position that they need now. So, I mean, activity doesn't necessarily mean a good thing. I mean, it's a good thing. So I don't want to advocate that, but at the same time, you know, seeing guys like, uh, Leonard Williams got traded yesterday. Like it, it seems like there are more big names moving around this time of year. And it seems like there may be more deals getting close to getting done, but, yeah, it does, especially for the Titans, who uh, John Robinson's never made a trade deadline trade. It, it does kind of feel like it's much ado about nothing where, you know, everybody gets excited. You think, you know, maybe the Titans are a mystery team in these rumors, and then it turns out, no, they're they're not. We basically know it, you know, 2.30 that there's not going to be a mood, move made that the Titans are a part yeah. of. So that's... It, like I said, it's disappointing in the moment, and everybody gets mad and in a huff about it. Thank goodness the Titans aren't coming off a loss because everybody would be losing their minds. But, you know, that, that's Yeah, I mean, that happened last is. year. Uh, they, were, they were, I believe, coming off a bye because uh, they had a bye after their game against the Chargers in London around this time and lost that game and so not only had there been a loss but there had been a loss that fans got a sort to sort of got to simmer on for over a week and when the titans didn't trade for the decrepit demarius thomas or golden tate like people lost their minds well, and also, needlessly. if you remember, there was Amari Cooper rumors, and Amari Cooper was, you know, basically being bid on by the Titans and the Cowboys, 
And when you piece together kind of the hearsay, it was the Titans were considering giving up a first round pick in twenty nine or twenty twenty, and the Cowboys ended up giving up a first round pick for twenty nineteen, and that was kind of the deciding factor. And then we ended up playing Amari Cooper the next week, uh, right after the Monday Night Football, and he looked great. And we started out like down. 10 points or something and then ultimately came back and won that game but i mean that i have never seen the fan base more irrationally mad than they were that the titans didn't give up a first round pick in the middle of like a monday night football everybody was so sure that they were right and that the titans were stupid and man that was hard to be a part of and you know to sort of close out this discussion on the trade deadline I mean, I don't know that there was really any trade that they should have made uh and i think that's why just judging from what I've seen on social media from the last few hours, the fan reaction has not been very adverse. I mean, I don't know who who's going to come in and really make this team better unless you're getting like a, an elite type player, which, which you just don't get on trade deadline day. I mean, what we, you asked the other day, you said, you know, what what position would you upgrade or would you trade for? I said running back and right guard. Well. I don't know that I would pay a draft pick necessarily for a running back uh, that I can just use that draft pick on, you know, for a running back. And for right guard, I don't know that you're going to get a great right guard option through trade. So it's just my opinion that probably for the best that even if they tried to work something out that that it didn't ultimately uh, work out. Yeah, I mean, we saw what happens when we paid a bunch of money for a really, really talented left guard is he comes and gets coached by Keith Carter and then gets worse and is a big problem. So to give up a pick to watch somebody do that would be hard to stomach. So I'm glad they didn't do that. And running backs, which we'll talk more about in a second, but I'm I'm pretty much of the opinion that unless they're truly exceptional, you don't even entertain the idea of giving them a second contract because history has shown that that just never works out. Yep. So let's, let's talk a little bit about the Titans' win against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, you, you were at the game, correct? Yes. What did you think about your first uh, Jameis Winston in-person experience? Or what, did you watch him in that preseason game? Because I wasn't able to make that preseason game last year. Yeah, yeah, I did. But he came in with the twos and like lit up the backup vanilla defense. Yeah, because he that... threw a bomb to Deshaun, right? Deshaun Jackson. Yeah. Yeah, and I did not feel like that was an accurate representation of what he was as a quarterback. So, what, what did you think I, about the second viewing? More accurate? That was yeah, that was fun. I mean, it was probably the <laughs> only accurate thing about that performance is my expectations. Yes, because I mean, he was. Look, it, Mariota is not the answer, at least for sure, not in Tennessee. Like maybe he goes somewhere and gets you know the guru attention, like he should have gotten here and. That we can debate that in two years if he's done something. We can talk about what went wrong here and why it didn't work. But I can guarantee you, Jameis Winston isn't the answer in Tampa Bay, and he hasn't been at any point in his career. He's never looked good, and I've never felt more confident in that assessment than when I watched him in person. It feels like every time I watch him play, and it was sort of, uh, I always like watching quarterbacks in person because I think you better you get a better idea of how the ball comes out of their hands and and you know the type of ball they throw and how big of an arm they have like Jameis was exactly who I expected him to be like he's this clunky athlete who doesn't do much of anything well except he throws hard 
Like he's not great with movement in the pocket. He's too big to you know, evade rushers without having to run outside the pocket. He's too slow to scramble. Even when he does scramble, get past, it's very clunky. Uh, he's not accurate, as evidenced by that awful interception he threw to Malcolm Butler, where he hit Malcolm in stride, essentially. Um, there's not much there for, for Jameis Winston. And, you know, those two guys, Mariota and Winston, were uh, the guys in that 2015, I believe, draft class. And yeah, both, both kind of been duds. Yeah, I mean, it, it goes to show you that no quarterback class is what you expect it to be. And very exactly. rarely, and very rarely is the top guy or even the top two guys, you know, really the best of that class i mean there was mariota and winston who you know if you like if you look at them on paper they both won heismans they both took their teams to the playoffs that year you know Jameis winston put up good statistical numbers even though his interceptions and off the field stuff were concerning mariota was working with his third string of wide receivers and really nobody else who got drafted on that team and he was making them go and yet if you come into the NFL and you don't come into the right situation, you are doomed to failure. I mean, Dak, Dak Prescott came in and he was a third round pick and it's almost not an arguable point right now that he's better than golf and Wentz, who went in first and second overall. So yeah, you, you go make ahead. a good point on sort of not being able to say, well, this is a good quarterback class. This is a bad quarterback class. Cause I remember in 2017, the narrative was, well, this is a bad year, right? If you're going to take a quarterback, you need to wait until next year when you got Baker and Darnold and Rosen. Uh, and out of that draft class came who? Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes. One, yeah, one Patrick Mahomes. So, yeah, like two, that's, the that's, two leading MVP candidates, arguably for this year. Yeah, like at the at the very least, there are two quarterbacks that are being built around for their franchise. Like, I mean, Mahomes won an MVP the first year he started. So, like, you just don't know. Like, and I mean, not not, not let's like let me paint the full picture. Not only has Mahomes won an MVP in the first season that he started because he sat out the first year, he the Bills owned that pick and they traded back with the Kansas City Chiefs so they could get him, and. Both the Texans and the Bears who drafted ahead of them drafted quarterbacks that weren't Patrick Mahomes, and Deshaun Watson has been good. And then Pat, uh, Mitchell Trubisky, who was traded up to the second overall pick, I mean, he has been awful. I mean, one of the worst, you know, top five quarterbacks it, ever, maybe. He, he just looks bad at everything he does. So, I mean, even uh, it just even if you're convinced that you've got the perfect quarterback, your team is committed to him and ready to move up. And you think, you know, you think you have a great defense and all he has to do is the minimal amount. You get people like Mitchell Trubisky and you just don't win games. So yeah, I mean it, when we've talked about it before and I'm, I'm sure that our quarterback rankings will ultimately be wrong because you just can't predict what's going to happen and who's going to coach where, but you know, at the same time, like if you need a quarterback, don't wait for Trevor Lawrence because, you know, he may have a Jameis Winston career path and he may be terrible. And I mean, Miami was tanking for uh, Justin Herbert until this year. And then it turns out they were tanking for Tua and then maybe not even that. They may be tanking for Burrow. So you just never know who's going to be the guy. Yeah. Uh, let's turn our attention to the game itself with the Titans and the Buccaneers. 
let's start with the offense. Uh, Tannehill, three touchdowns. That's a bit of a padded stat because two of those came on drives that started inside the 10-yard line. Uh, the offense looked human again. I'm not even going to say they looked human again because I think last week was honestly the first week that they looked human. Uh, so they've maybe gone from human in Tannehill's first start when they got the, the quote-unquote spark from him. Uh, back down to earth where this unit is at its core uh, fundamentally broken. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's hard because, you know, the offense looks good, especially on paper when you look at, you know, 50 points in two games. Like, that looks like a good stat line or whatever. But, I mean, you look at the performances and, I, I mean – Tannehill probably should have thrown two interceptions. Like, they both got caught. We, we've kind of debated on whether the second one was pass interference. The first one definitely was. But, you know, whatever. Like, it looks – human is a good way to describe it because it doesn't look anything better than average. But for the first time in a long time, it looks consistently average, which is important. So, yeah, I mean it, – it's, it's hard because I don't want to put so much on a quarterback change, but – it does feel like that's improved everything from the offensive line, which has its issues, to the running game, to all of it. Like, it just does look like it's flowing a little bit better with Tannehill. One thing that, that I'm going to write about for, uh, I think tomorrow is when I'm going to have this done, is uh, that the offense is at its core uh, logic defying. <laughs> well, yeah, but it defies logic in that, and we keep hearing Vrabel get asked about uh, analytics, and, and Gentry Estes, the columnist for the Tennessean, wrote a good piece on um, on the Titans and analytics. But, I mean, forget the numbers, forget the decision-making and all of that stuff. Let's just look at this from a common-sense standpoint. When you are an NFL offense and your options are Corey Davis, Adam Humphreys, A.J. Brown, Jonu Smith, all plus receiving options, correct? Correct. Y- you run a five-wide receiver set and throw the ball out of it with Derrick Henry, this stiff running back that can't catch, and Michael Pruitt, your blocking tight end, is wide receivers. I feel like I need the Taylor Twelman meme right now. Why is that happening? What are we doing here? <laughs> it... <sighs> The problem with this offense comes from the top down. Yes. Um, I think I think we all know Arthur Smith is bad uh, and that he needs to be replaced after this year. I don't think that's groundbreaking or a hot take or overreaction. We've seen him call eight bad games in a row, um, and he was he was saved the week one when there were all there was you know pick sixes, turnovers inside the twenty, uh, all that kind of stuff, you know safety. So. We've seen him bailed out by the defense before, and that'll happen. The Titans have a great defense. But the point still remains that going forward, you can't feel confident about the coaching staff. And I've argued you can't feel about it, feel comfortable with it all the way to the top because I think some of these issues are just so clear because after the after uh, the game and the press conference, I guess it was the day after, you know, that, that point was raised where somebody asked Frabel, you know, why is Corey Davis on the sideline so much? And, you know, why is it, why are y'all running it with these guys out on the field? And he said, you know, our receivers are good. They deserve more. They all deserve more snaps. 
And then I promise you next week we're going to see Anthony Ferkser. And I love Anthony Ferkser. And that's not the point of this. But we're going to see Anthony Ferkser and Miko Pruitt out snap one of the top three wide receivers. And it's, I mean, it's going to be embarrassing. It's a, it's a bad way to run an offense. It's taking what a general manager and John Robinson has given you and said, look, I'm giving you very talented wide receivers and deep tight ends. Use them correctly. And what the offensive mind, whether Vrabel has any hand in it or whether it's all Arthur Smith, what they've come up with is Miko Pruitt needs to be on the field all the time as a blocking tight end, which, you know, doesn't, it doesn't work instead of Johnny Smith. And then, Adam Humphreys need to be needs to be relegated to a very small part of the offense. Even though, like we saw this week, when he's given chances, he can really attack the middle of the field, and he can also do things like convert on third downs at a really high rate. So you've got clear evidence that you have talented playmakers, and you're actively choosing to put them on the sideline. And you know, we, we we had a discussion a few weeks ago off air that I want to bring on air to that point that you're making of of having playmakers on the sideline. It has felt to me in the Vrabel era that the Titans make a lot of substitutions, really on both sides of the ball, but I notice it more on offense, like the you know Derrick Henry and Michael Pruitt situation where they're in an empty set with five wideouts, and I can't remember if it was Corey or AJ or, or both of them that were on the sideline, but it's just like, you know, why is this happening? And I made a comparison to you when we had this conversation that, it's like the Titans are playing hockey with the amount of, of substitutions that yeah. they make. It's like they have their their pairings and their groupings, and every few minutes someone needs a rest, and so you bring them off. And it's like, I just don't know that that's how this should be working, you know? Well, I mean, it's not how any other NFL offense works. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right. Like, you know, when they do their whole line shift thing and they bring in, you know, blocking tight ends and all that, and then – they run it for negative two yards because they always run it when player X and player Y are on the field and the defense keys on that and knows it, then yeah, like it's a bad decision. And then their response is to go, okay, what we'll do is we'll bring out those guys. But like we said earlier, we'll line them all up at wide receiver. And it's like, no, don't like just pick five players and figure out the guys that can do two different things and then go out there and say, okay, we're going to run with Humphreys in the slot, A.J. Brown on the outside, Corey Davis on the outside, Jonu Smith in line, and Derrick Henry in the backfield. And we're going to run an entire drive with that, and we're going to pass seven times and run three times, and all the looks are going to be the same. That's that's what this offense is supposed to be. It's supposed to be about marrying running concepts with passing concepts to deceive, an, deceive a defense and to force the linebackers to respect everything you're faking. Instead... When Deion Lewis comes on the field, nobody's worrying about the run. They're worried about the stupid one-yard dump-off pass that he's about to get. Or when they see that he's stuck in pass protection and isn't going to leak out anyway, then they just drop and there's an extra man in coverage. So it's it's playing with – I mean, it's drawing with crayons. It is the most simplistic form of offense while also being the worst and least well-executed, I guess. So – yeah, I mean, it's a problem, and you're right. It is like you're shifting an entire line out, and it just tells the defensive coordinator what you're doing. And, you know, last week we uh, applauded the Titans for and Tannehill for getting the ball to his wide receivers more, A.J. Brown and Corey Davis. 
And then this week, it was back to the same stuff. You know, it's like, and I mean, I, I just I don't, don't get I don't want to stick. I don't want to stick up for Tannehill or anything, but because that's very much not my brand. But <laughs> um, Matias told me to talk about this, so I will. Um, you know, there there were times when you needed to throw to the tight end, and the guy who was doing the most with what he got was. Uh, Johnu Smith. So yeah. I don't I don't blame them for taking shots to Johnu Smith, but I mean, if your offensive coordinator is only going to put out AJ Brown and Corey Davis a certain amount of times, you've got to get a chemistry with somebody. And it's when it's the fourth quarter, you can't just ask those guys to get hot, even though they did throw it to AJ Brown for the game winning touchdown. But I mean, mm-hmm. you know, there there's a reason why quarterbacks develop chemistry with wide receivers and tight ends. So Johnny Smith was behind Delaney Walker in practices and in OTAs and he worked with the second team, whatever. And that's why they have a chemistry. Tajay Sharp worked, you know, with the first and second string, like all through preseason and whatever. That's why they have chemistry. You know, if you don't let him throw it to Corey Davis or an AJ Brown, because you're putting them on the sideline, you're never going to get your best playmakers chemistry with your quarterback. And it's going to end up where, in a game they really need it, like let's say against the Texans in Week 17, they're they're going to have AJ Brown and Corey Davis on the field, and the chemistry probably won't be there, and it'll probably cost them points because of dumb stuff they're doing right now. Yeah, uh, I have a comparison for Corey Davis that I thought of on Sunday uh, because I, I think I made this is I called be him insulting. A, I, I called him <laughs> no, it's not. I called him a bust a few weeks ago. No, I don't think I called him that on our show. I think I called him that to you guys in our uh, in our group chat. I think I think that's a yearly thing, though. Well, yeah, but <laughs> I kind of regret that um, because Corey Davis is talented. Don't get me wrong, but he's not what people I think are trying to convince themselves that he is or that he's is going to be. So I have a comparison for Corey Davis, uh, and I'm going to give you that comparison. Okay. But first, we're going to hear a quick word from one of our show sponsors. So listen to that, and then when we come back, it'll be about 30 seconds, I'm going to give you my Corey Davis comparison. Okay, so here is my Corey Davis comparison. Keep in mind when I give you the name. This is not a type comparison. I'm not saying that this player is the archetype for Corey Davis and that they're like, similar in terms of their skill set and talents. I'm saying that Corey Davis, in terms of his meaning for an offense, uh, relationship with quarterback, uh, general statistical ability, and perhaps even career arc is going to match this player. And I'm just going to say the player name, and then, Will, it will be your, your turn to comment. Are you ready? Go ahead. E- Emmanuel Sanders. Oh, yeah, I'm cool with Emmanuel Sanders. That's like, I, Emmanuel Sanders is a solid comp. I think, uh, I think Emmanuel Sanders is a little bit more of like a yards after catch guy that needs to be like have kind of play schemed open where it's like you're on a crosser here. I'm gonna dump it and you run with it. Like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm not comparing their skill sets. I'm comparing right, the right, right, production yeah, I, meaning yeah, to an offense. Saying. Yeah, and, because and, I, I think I think people have convinced themselves that like, well, if Corey Davis played for Sean McVay, that he'd be Julio Jones. I'm like, I just don't. I think that is. I don't think that's accurate. 
I think Corey Davis is a talented receiver. I think he's a good receiver. He's done good things. I do not think that he is or will ever become this, like, number one guy who's dictating coverage week in, week out, like a Michael Thomas, A.J. Green, someone to that degree. He's just not, number one, that talented. And number two, we're not seeing him put that all together. And I know some of it does go to the offensive coordinator. Some of it previously went to Mariota, now to Tannehill. Uh, but I think Emmanuel Sanders is a fair comparison in that regard. Yeah, just just thinking about it off the top of my head, I kind of think of him more as like, and not in, that's a good comparison, but in my head I kind of think about him more as like a Larry Fitzgerald after his peak where he became a guy where it's like, okay, we're going to throw you like we're going to throw to you and you're going to catch it because that's what you do, but you probably won't split the seam of a defense and run for 70 yards for a touchdown. Like he probably doesn't have that out upside, but He's such a solid route runner, and he catches so many balls that aren't even close to where he should be able to catch. Like whether they're low and he picks them up, whether it's in the defender's hands and he snatches it away, whether it's you know on the sideline where he should run out of bounds, like in the Falcons game where he snatched it and pulled it in and ended up running for a touchdown. Like he makes so many different plays. Exactly. And, yeah, and see, but, I, th- I think he is very athletic. I think he has a good skill set. I I think what he's missing and what's gonna keep him from ever becoming anything like a like a top five overall receiver like he's going to be disappointing but he's still going to be valuable uh what's keeping him from becoming that is just sort of what i'm going to say a feel for the position it doesn't look natural to him like on that uh that that route he ran where he started in the slot and then had the corner beat, and Tannehill overthrew him a little bit. But he just kind of stopped on the break because he was looking for the ball. And see, this is what I think A.J. Brown does have. I think he has a good feel for the position. He's just not as as physically gifted as Corey Davis. It's That's such an interesting way to phrase it. Because there's times where, like, if you're asking me which receiver I'd rather throw, like, a 10-yard, like, curl to, I would rather throw it to Corey Davis. Because I think he would snatch it out of the air, and I think there's a less chance of him, you know, lowering his hips, turning and making a defender miss, and then taking it for a touchdown. But, like, I would expect that from A.J. Brown. So, they're two – they're so different, like, that feel is such an interesting way to put it. Uh I, I don't know. Like I think he I think he feels a lot of things really well. I think the problem is I mean honestly like if we're talking just in a vacuum, I think he needs more targets. I think he's shown that whenever he gets targets, he produces and whether you have to force those targets or not, it shouldn't matter. Like you should see that as an offensive coordinator or head coach and it should be a part of your offense where you're going to throw him 8 to 10 targets a game and that's just what you're going to do. And if he's your best blocker, there's no reason he should ever not be on the field anyway. So it shouldn't take that much away from your game. Um, so I think he's he's almost like Mariota was in that he needs to kind of get into a rhythm to really be effective. And whether that's a feel thing or not, I don't know. But that is an interesting way to describe it because even in the Atlanta game, you know, he had like a curl route to start and then he kind of progressed. Then it was AJ Brown for a little while. And then they came back to Corey Davis and he made that, tu- they, you know, that cool touchdown we talked about earlier in the Philadelphia game when he really went off last year that I think, uh, Mariota missed him just by hair deep on a play early. And then they just kept getting, getting him involved. And eventually he ended up making big plays and scoring the game winning touchdown. So 
you know, I think he kind of produces better the more he's targeted, and I think that's more his issue. But a lack of feel may be something that I need to look at and haven't really considered before because A.J. Brown does have that natural feel where it doesn't matter where the defenders are. It's like he seemingly like has a sixth sense to where he's like, okay, if I put my foot here, I'm so convincing that everybody's going to bite on it, and then he can draw an imaginary line to the end zone. And very often he at least makes the first guy miss or makes it really difficult on the defense. So, yeah, and it's not like he ran a 4-3-40 either. Uh I want to talk about another starter on the Titans offense now, Derrick Henry. This is the discussion that we uh, said we would have. We decided yesterday that we were going to have this talk. Um, Derrick Henry, I kind of want to take this a couple angles. First of all, his contract is expiring at the end of this season, and I am starting to say to myself, they just need to move on from this guy. And here's why. He's one-dimensional. And he's pretty good at that one dimension. I'll give him that. But he's not, you know, you can get away with being a one-dimensional running back if you're Adrian Peterson. Right? You can get away with being more If you're a Hall of Fame athlete. Exactly. But that's what I'm yeah. saying. Like, in 2019 at the running back position, you have to have someone that can effectively catch passes out of the backfield and run the football. And and I keep getting you know well you just get yourself a Kenyon Drake and there you go you got your receiver you got your uh, your runner well that's all good and dandy but like you were saying Will earlier about you know telling indicating to the defense what you're about to do like that's a dead giveaway it's it's why the Deion Lewis stuff hasn't worked part of the reason anyway uh, <laughs> so just to start this conversation I'm curious where you stand on Derrick Henry and his value to the Titans. It's it's tough um, because if you ask me who's one of I mean who's the most valuable like Titans on the offense right now going into this week's game Derrick Henry's probably three I mean he he's up there he's very yeah. valuable to this offense but that comes with the caveat of saying I don't think he should catch more than one pass a game because he's shown he can't really do that consistently and it becomes another negative play that he has. And then I don't think you can really run him like you would a Brandon Jacobs like he was compared to early in his career. Like, he's not a guy you just want lowering his head and diving in the pile. And even well, if you Henry did want him to do that. Henry doesn't lower his head. Yeah. Hen- yeah, that's what Henry, I was going to say. Even if you do. He has learned how to fall forward, but he doesn't lower his head. He's not a power running back. We've we've right. had, we've discussed this plenty of times. Yeah, he's, he's a B-gap and outrunner. Like, if it's in the A-gap, he's not going to get you much. But – if it's in the B gap or if he's got a cutback, then all of a sudden you open up the opportunity, which is what he is. He's a home run hitting type running back who, once he gets in the open field, he's fast enough with deep speed and strong enough with his upper body and really with his lower body to kind of evade contact where if he's in the open field, you're going to have to take him and he's going to go in a straight line. Like he, he's not going to do a lot of dancing. His, his path is always he's going to keep working outside and working outside and working outside. He's never going to cut back in across you. Like that's just not what he does. Or if he does, he's not going to do it quickly and you're going to be able to tackle him. But if you're going to tackle him, you're committing to putting your head on the line, like, and you're going to have to tackle him when he's at full speed. And that I believe there was a stat, it, it not 
like a, this is amazing, I'm proud of him kind of stat. But I think there was a stretch of three or four games in a row where people left with concussions because they tackled Derrick Henry. I, I, I know for a fact it happened in Indianapolis, and that was and in uh, Cleveland. It started in Cleveland, so it was the first three or four weeks of the season where somebody that tackled Derrick Henry got concussed and had to leave. Like that's that's a big deal. Like it took Darius Leonard out of the out of the season for like four games or something three or four games i mean it was a big deal so that's his asset is people are afraid to tackle him and when he gets to full speed if somebody tackles him it's going to punish the other team so much that if you can ever recreate it it won't happen twice but i mean going going forward it's just how do you deal with a back who can't be that Le'Veon Bell and Kenyon Drake and those guys who can catch 30-plus passes a year because then you start telegraphing your game plan. And once you do that, I mean, in the NFL, everybody's got good players on both sides of the ball. They may not have a whole team of them, but if you tell me that Levante David knows exactly where you're going to go pre-snap, then you're going to have a lot of hard – I mean, you're going to have a lot of hardship trying to move the ball down the field. So – it it just it just takes away another dimension that you could have, and if you do that, you're limiting an already limited offense. So, I mean, it's it's fair to question that. And another reason that I'm pretty quick to say, you know, just move on and find someone else is because, and we're not talking about cornerback here. We're not talking about pass rusher. We're not talking about cornerback. We're talking about an extremely replaceable position. You know, if you've got one of the top guys in the league, like a Saquon Barkley, a Christian McCaffrey, a Ezekiel Elliott, uh, Todd Gurley prior to this knee stuff that's come up. Yes, absolutely. Lock them up. But when you have a one-dimensional player like Derrick Henry, just find someone else. And, and I say just find someone else because it's just that easy. right? Over the last few years, these late-round draft picks at running back that have been really exceptional players. You've got Kareem Hunt, Aaron Jones, uh, Marlon Mack, Jordan Howard, David Montgomery is playing pretty well for the Chicago Bears. Uh, help me out, Will. Who are some others? Because I know there are plenty of others. Yeah, so like Chris, I just I just was looking it up. Chris Carson is doing really yeah. well. Dalvin Cook's a second-round pick. Uh, you've got Philip Lindsay, who's undrafted. I mean – there's there's plenty of guys where if you'll just go outside of the top, you know, four or five guys, you'll fall into the middle rounds, and they're just there. Like, I mean, it, it, Alvin Kamara, obviously, I think I don't know if you said him or not. I think you did, but like, I did not. I mean, yeah, there's there's just a ton of them. So, in fact, I would say that if you look over the past, you can find better running backs in the entirety of day two than you can in the entirety of day one, like. Even when you hit on somebody like uh, like Todd Gurley, they can easily burn out quick. I mean, that's what happened to him. Is you know he's got injuries. He's been banged up for the last two. I mean, this is going on his third year where he's not completely healthy at the end of the year. So, I mean, and you see guys like Austin Eckler, like who's just I don't know where he was drafted. I don't have it in front of me, but I know he was either undrafted or like an afterthought. Like. I mean, these guys pop up on every team all the time. So this idea that you should commit major resources to an aging version of this historically has screwed up teams. Even the Titans. I mean, look at Chris Johnson. I mean, 
that it's it was a different time and money was different. You didn't have to spend X amount to hit the floor, so you weren't kind of encouraged to spend money. And so when the Titans gave up so much to keep Chris Johnson and gave him such a big deal, you know the rest of the team suffered for it because uh, for all the good things Bud Adams did, he didn't love to spend money. And I can't blame him. I don't love to spend money either, but that hurt the team because so much was invested in Chris Johnson and so much of it was guaranteed money. They couldn't cut him. They were stuck with him. And as he quickly declined from what he was in his CJ2K year, the rest of the team suffered around him. And that's kind of when all this downward spiral began. So that, so investing the lesson of that is investing in a running back is a bad proposition and not a bad proposition that it can hurt you for a year or two, but it can essentially collapse your team if you make the wrong decisions after that. Also, Henry this year, and this is a statement to maybe take away from his value, has the most negative runs in the NFL. And like we were talking about before the show, Will, you know, yeah, Arthur Smith and the offensive line have, have are at fault some for that. But some of that does go on Derrick Henry for not being able to get into a second gear quicker. Yeah, it's just another deficiency that he has. I mean, the offensive line has been bad, and he's always needed a runway to create plays. But, I mean, those two things can't go together. Like, you can't build an offense around a leaky offensive line with a bad offensive line coach and a running back who needs four steps to really get in gear. Let's talk a little bit about, as, as we move on here, the Titans' pass rush. Uh, because last week was the big Jeffrey Simmons week where he made his debut and looked really good. This week, Harold Landry had a, a strip sack that uh, really kind of, uh, not sealed, but, but got, allowed the Titans to get back in it and ultimately win the game. Uh, he's at five sacks halfway through the season on pace for ten. Just what are your thoughts on that group generally? Because that was one of the things that I know you and I, but several others this offseason identified as something they needed to fix, is they needed to be able to get more pressure from those those four guys up front, the main ones. And they are, I think. Yeah, it's weird. The Titans very, I mean, it seems to be intentional, aren't trying to get a pass rush. They're lining Harold Landry and Cameron Wake up inside. They're lining, lining them the inside shoulder of the offensive tackle, so it's called a four-eye, and they're rushing them inside. And just the, it's it's like they're intentionally not trying to create a pass rush, and it is the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. I don't understand why it's happening. They're letting bad offensive tackles get away unscathed in games, and I'm afraid it's going to happen this week too with Carolina. But it's just it's the weirdest thing. But when they let those guys rush, they look great. Jeffrey Simmons is manhandling guys. There was a time where he threw a guy, I think it was a tight end who was assigned to like crack block him or something, and he threw him with one hand. And then Jarrell Casey had, uh, did he have two sacks this week? Uh, I know he had, I think he just had one. Okay. Then he had one sack and then another tackle for loss or something. And then Harold Landry had the strip sack. When they let these guys widen out and pin their ears back, they do well. The problem is, and I thought this would be a wrinkle and not something they committed to do all the time, but they're in love with this this diamond package where they bring Rashawn Evans down in the box and or to the line and he rushes, and then they widen their guys out and rush. But the problem is, is they've gotten this idea in their head that it's 
to do that, you need to only rush three guys. And so you'll see this three-man rush, which is always a bad idea, and then Harold Landry will be jamming up the tight end or like really that's what he primarily does is he squares up with the tight end and just blocks him to make sure he can't go into a route, which is fine until you're playing a team like Mike Evans, like Tampa Bay who has Mike Evans to throw to. And then you need to let that tight end go and let him rush. And eventually they made that change. But you know, the problem is not with the talent and it's not with the coaching because the net effect is good. They're a good defense and great when they want to be, but it just seems like if they really wanted to get 60 sacks this year, they could have. They just thought that there was a better way to play defense. And I've complained about it forever, about how they're misusing Harold Landry, and I don't know why they're taking Jeffrey Simmons off the field on pass rush situations so that Rashawn well, like, Evans can walk down. It's the same principle we were talking about earlier on offense, this hockey substitution stuff. Yeah, it, it, it is, and it's frustrating and it it it's it just screams a lack of creative thinking it screams that they wrote down like five things they wanted to do on each side of the ball and they're like no matter what we're not going to change this formula and they agreed to it and they've done that and it's so hard to watch like it's just you know dean pease is great I, i i need to say this a million times i feel like because i criticize dick lebeau and Dick LeBeau was not doing a good job when he was the defensive coordinator for the Titans for stretches because he would do things in it inopportune moments and he would just put people in bad positions. And I actually have a Dick LeBeau in my notes for later when we're talking about the Panthers, so we'll get to come back to that. Oh, there you go. Um, but like Dean Pease is not doing that. Like Dean Pease is elevating his talent. Like you know the coaches under him on that defensive staff have made every position group better since they've been here. The linebackers and defensive backs are given chances to make plays. And I, if I had to figure out why he would maybe do that with the defensive line, I'm guessing the plan is we're going to set up a fence at the 10-yard line from the line of scrimmage, and we're going to force them into, you know, quote-unquote force, but second and four. And then once they're in second and four and shorter, they're going to have to deal with our defense where they've got to run the ball, and we're so confident in our rush defense that we're fine with that. And that's worked for him, so I guess that's fine. But I still don't understand why you can't do that and rush the passer with the guys who've shown that they can do it when they're accidentally on the field. Yeah, it is. It is really. Uh, it's really confusing. I, I would agree with that. Um, I, I think we're ready to uh, to start talking about the uh, the Carolina Panthers. Unless you have any other. Oh, there is one more Titans topic I wanted to hit. Uh. I want to talk about Taylor Lewan for just a second. Uh, dude's a really good football player. He's really funny. He's uh, fun to be around in the locker room. Get off of his back, Titans fans. Be thankful that you have this guy. Who Who is not thankful that they have Lewan? I, I don't know. I just feel like maybe I'm seeing ghosts like our friend Sam Darnold with the Jets. <laughs> but I just feel like I've seen criticisms of, of, uh, of Lewan, maybe not from fans, but definitely from the media where it's like, Oh, dude, with the podcast, whiffing on a block. Like, yeah, Taylor Lewan's going to whiff on a block when dudes pass the line of scrimmage while Lewan is still in his pre-snap stance. Like, I'm I'm not expecting him to win on that one, okay? (laughs) Calm down, guys. Taylor Lewan is a great football player. He's played well since he's come back from the injury. Um, 
His podcast is the only one that I think is anywhere remotely close to ours in terms of uh, being engaging. Um, That's right. Sorry, I, I just had to get on my Lawan soapbox for yeah, a minute. I like you, Taylor uh, Lawan. If you um, think that Taylor Lawan's not good at his job, uh, send me a tweet at, at jloma72, and we can have a long discussion about it because I hate people being ignorant out there, so I would love to educate you. But Will no. will we'll, we'll also send you some cut-ups of Wills VTech. Well, Lawan's predecessor playing left yeah. tackle. Yeah, it's like there there's occasional plays where he doesn't look like the best left tackle in football, but there's a lot more where he does, and he does things that other left tackle. I, I, it's crazy that I'm even having to say this. I mean, it, the it, Titans have been so blessed to have the left tackles that they've had for the last you know two yeah. decades. So just shut up and enjoy what you're watching and go watch a team like Tampa Bay or like Cleveland who like what happened when they lost Joe Thomas and all that kind of stuff. Like you don't know how bad it is. You're living a very sheltered life in terms of the offensive tackles you've been given. So it's almost, it's almost like they're looking for him to fail. And it's like, anytime something bad happens, they like wag the finger and they're like, Oh, there's Lawan messing up again because they're like still stuck on him. And, Year two, getting a couple holding penalties and, and making a bad judgment call against the Raiders to get an unnecessary roughness call. It's like they can't get over that. Like, that Taylor yeah. one is gone. It's no more. Yeah, he, he got married, had a kid. He's not that dude anymore. Like, he doesn't do that dumb stuff. He doesn't, you know, Jason Pierre-Paul snatched up a ball after uh, Tannehill got sacked, and it was ruled a sack very clearly, and he went and grabbed a ball, and Lawan followed – Jason Pierre Paul to the sideline a little bit and then pulled off and backed up before Lawan would have come and snatched that ball away and he would have gotten into a fight with Pierre Paul on the field and he would have broken dude down. So like it's not it's not the same guy. Like back like back off if that's your criticism and I I mean I don't know like I, I don't I don't want to outright call you stupid because that seems offensive but that is what you are being if you think Taylor Lawan's not a top four offensive left tackle in the NFL like. It, and it's yeah. really not close, so that's very aggravating to hear that people are being wrong. And if if you don't agree, and if you think if you, I mean, I guess if you do agree with me and don't agree with those people, please let them know that Taylor Wan is a good left tackle, and that they can just stop with that. Uh, let's get into the Panthers now. My Dick LeBeau uh, mention that, that I'm going to make is if a Dick LeBeau Titans defense faced Christian McCaffrey. Caught here a million yards. It would it, it would be maybe the most dominant running back performance in NFL history. Because this dude, Christian McCaffrey, is incredible. I mean, I have him in fantasy football in a, in one of my leagues that I'm in, and, and he's been my saving grace. Uh, he's having a remarkable season. He does literally everything well. And I just remember that in the Dick LeBeau days, the Titans could never – cover like pass catching running backs even when they got like Jayon brown toward the tail end of lebeau's time here it, like they still couldn't do anything to stop those kinds of players but i don't know what, what do you expect mccaffrey to do against a mike variable dean Pease defense oh uh, <laughs> I, I love first of all christian mccaffrey is what people thought reggie bush was going to be like that's the yeah. kind of player he is like he is electric but also really strong and can hit it, any of the holes he needs to. So, like, he he won't win MVP, but I have a hard time believing outside of some quarterbacks, maybe not even that many, that 
any team would be much worse off without a player than the Panthers would be without Christian McCaffrey. So he's the key to their whole team. Like, and, and it's not close. Offense, defense, he's their best player. Um, I don't know. Like, we, we've seen Dean Pease put Wesley Woodyard one-on-one with Austin Eckler in, like, and get beat for, you know, almost 100 yards receiving on two plays or whatever it was. So, like, that's pretty awful. Um, I would hope that with Jayon Brown back, that's not a solution that he comes up with, that it's more Jayon Brown and, you know, Kevin Byard and maybe a corner or something against him. But, I mean, honestly, like, I expect him to do the same thing to us that he does to most teams, which is be incredibly successful and need two or three bodies on him at all time to make sure you can get him down or else you're going to get put on his highlight film. He's just He's just that dangerous. So... I mean, he's by far the most dangerous running back we'll face all year. Even if they end up facing Kamara for the Saint, like when they play the Saints, like he's just he's just a different kind of dude. It, he's having his Ladanian Tomlinson year, where no matter what they have to do to get him the ball, he needs to get the ball on at least every other play, and he doesn't show any signs of slowing down. Like it's it's not like you know he's taking three hundred snaps at this point and he's starting to wear down and he's not as fast. Like no, like. Two weeks ago when they played in London, which notoriously makes people play worse a lot of the times, he was snatching ankles and I mean he was killing the Tampa Bay defense. So I am more than mildly concerned. Luke Keekley on the other side of the ball. Still pretty good, huh? I mean, he's kind of been carrying <laughs> that defense since Cam Newton has been out and they've been having to uh, sort of take a more defensive approach with Kyle Allen at quarterback. Yeah, I mean, they're they're a really good defense, like top to bottom. They seem to be well coached. The defensive line is really good. Uh, but, yeah, Keekley is is the guy. Like, again, I, I'll stick to it that I think that Christian McCaffrey is the best player on the team. But Christian McCaffrey – or not Christian McCaffrey. Uh, Luke Keekley, when healthy, which he has been this year, which is great, is the best linebacker in football and is the best linebacker that football has seen since – peak Brian Urlacher. I mean, he laps Ray Lewis. He he is better than Ray Lewis, and that's, you know, say what you will, but he's just a better player. He can do more things. He can play in any generation and not just the run-heavy generation. So, like, he's smart. He's analytical. He's really good at communicating. He can tell the entire defense what to do just because he sees one thing. If you watch that all-or-nothing that Amazon did, uh, you can really get kind of a good – understanding of how good he is and how much he helps everybody else on the defense. I mean, he'll call out plays, not like run right. Like he'll call out like, this is going to be a trap, right? It's going to go right here. And he'll adjust the defensive line. And then somebody else will get a tackle for loss because they benefit from his knowledge and he won't make the play, but he is actually making the play. So yeah, I mean, Keekly is outstanding. What do you think about Kyle Allen? Because There was sort of some thought after he threw three interceptions last week that, oh, you'll definitely see Cam Newton this week because they'll they'll bench Allen for him. But then it kind of comes out like, well, Cam's actually not healthy, so (laughs) there is going to be Kyle Allen again this week, which, I mean, I've been fighting Cam Newton haters for the last, like, five years, I feel like. Um, So that is a positive for the Titans that Cam (laughs) Newton is not playing. Um. 
yeah, a kind of like yeah, the Cam, like well, well, a healthy Cam, like the Cam Newton yeah, we saw yeah. versus Tampa was needed to be put like out of his misery. It was it was bad. <laughs> and then the same thing with the, the Cam Newton that we saw against the Rams, like he like he was also awful and skipping balls in the dirt. So. You know, he's had shoulder injuries and neck injuries or whatever. People are saying that this one's a foot injury. I, I don't know. I, I've got no idea what it is. I heard that he just, you know, there were rumors that he just wanted to take time off from the game and that he just didn't know if he loved football anymore, that kind of thing. I don't know if any of that's true, but I do know that the Panthers were stuck with a bad quarterback and a question mark at quarterback, and then I think they went with the bad quarterback. I don't think Kyle Allen's anything special. I think he's... He's kind of what I thought Gardner Minshew would be, like a guy who can occasionally make a play, but for the most part is going to be a, a hindrance to your offense. He's not as bad as Jameis Winston, but he's also very clearly the third best quarterback in that division. So, I mean, he's he's fine like in that he can survive games, but he's never going to win you games, and, you know – debate this all you want because this is i guess more my opinion than yours but like he's he's a step below marcus Mariota, so it just like if you think Mariota's bad at what he does kyle allen's kind of the same way but we're a step worse so you know oh and he's not athletic so that too uh last thing about the panthers before we close out ron rivera uh has been a consistently good coach he got them to a Super Bowl three or four years ago. Um, he's had some up and down years lately, but he's always been someone that I've liked. Uh, what do you think about Ron Rivera? Because I think that he has done a good job of getting the Panthers to where they are this year at only having, I believe, one loss at this point or two losses through eight games. Um, What's their record? Are they 7-2? and two? Or six and two. Let's go back to Siri because we, we we should just make this a segment. Yeah. We went we went to Siri last week. A sponsored, not yeah. unofficially well, sponsored. By. What is the Carolina Panthers record? The Panthers are currently four and three. Ugh. That's second place in the NFC South. Yeah. I thought they only had two losses. No, uh, they got stomped out by San Francisco this past well, yeah, week. Yeah, I knew that. I thought that was their second loss. No, no, they lost. They lost a couple other ones. Um, I think so. When you said six wins, I was like, that doesn't seem right. But well, now we know. Serious yeah, taught it's, us. it's not right. Um, but back back so, to the topic. Yeah. Uh, so back to the topic. Um, I mean, I think he's fine. Like, I, he was he was really exciting in the first year, uh, first couple the, of years with because, like the riverboat Ron stuff. Yeah, because it was like he was like, okay, I'm not afraid to do it, but it wasn't stupid. Like, it wasn't just like. I'm going to be the guy that goes for it on every fourth down. It was like Mike Vrabel. Yeah. It was like a good understanding of, I know that I've got this giant quarterback who's insanely athletic on fourth and two. If I let him move a little bit and then give him one person to read and then tell him to run it, if it's not there, that it'll work 90% of the time. And he was right. Like it was a great job evaluating the talent he had and figuring out, okay, this is a team I can gamble with and a team that I'm going to have to gamble with if I'm, if I'm going to win. But, you know, having said that his stock has gone down ever since the Super Bowl season, as it does with almost every quarterback, like look in Atlanta, but it, it just, 
he just can't seem to recreate that same magic with a less than 100% Cam Newton, which isn't really a detractor on him, but it also kind of means that like he kind of fell into the perfect situation. So I do like him, and I, and he seems a little bit bland as a person, like just like when you hear him talk and stuff, uh, and you know when when you see him on the sidelines and stuff, he kind of just seems kind of like uh, Mike Munchak was, where it's like I'm sure they have a personality off the field and, and people like him and they're charismatic, but when they talk and when they do stuff on the sideline, it just doesn't really seem like you know, yeah. anything special, just that, that whole former player thing. But yeah, I mean, I, I like him. I, I wouldn't want him as a head coach because I want offensive minded head coaches, but just in general of how do I like him as a coach in the league? I mean, I think he's a good coach. So let's close the show out as we always do with our stop the nonsense segment, where we look at just the, the most stupid thing we've seen from the sports world over the last week or so. Uh, I will, I'll start this week. Um, so my Stop the Nonsense for this week isn't a particular uh, post or, or tweet or article or anything like that. It, it's just a handful of things because over the last couple of weeks leading up to the trade deadline, I have seen many Titans fans throwing around the idea of let's trade Dion Lewis to someone. And I agree. <laughs> if John Robinson could find someone to give them a draft selection in exchange for Deion Lewis, I would pull the trigger so fast on that because we've abused Deion Lewis on this podcast enough. I don't need to keep doing that. But if you think that an NFL team is going to give up a draft pick for this decrepit running back who – is doing nothing of any value on the field and who has like a four or five million cap hit, you're out of your mind. And then I saw the the counter was like, well, the Dolphins might take him for like, why? The Dolphins are trying to get rid of their assets, not take more on. And, and do not give me the Akib Tlaib trade. That is a totally different deal. That was them getting a draft pick to take that player on. Why would the Dolphins give up a draft pick for a veteran player? It just does not make any sense. What did they gain from giving up, to use the scenario that was thrown around so much, what is the gain from giving up Kenyon Drake for Deion Lewis if you are the Dolphins? What in the world do you possibly get from that? Yeah, I mean... It's 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 something that uh, made sense in the vacuum because I because I looked at this obviously um, it's something that made sense in the vacuum of Brian Flores is there and you know they might want to run him back who's committed for more than one year if they if they liked him initially and the Titans can eat cap space then maybe they'll do it but yeah I mean if you're somebody who thinks that Deion Lewis has any trade value at all to the Dolphins outside of what he can do for them in the future and not like that he's a good player that can do well on another team like then you're just you're just incorrect you just don't understand kind of what he is yeah. at this point point. and on that so, note I, I think that there's this fundamental misunderstanding among fans about how trades work I think a lot of fans are like okay I want this player I don't like this player <laughs> let's trade player I don't like for player I love. Like, that's yeah, not how exactly. it works. You have to – there has to be some sort of a quality. It's it's the uh, – you know, I give you something you want 
in exchange for something I want. It has to make sense. And even like the one-sided trades, like the classic example is, is the Ricky Williams trade where I believe Mike Ditka gave up his entire draft for Ricky Williams. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes, that is correct. Like, there was something in it for both teams. It's not like the Saints were like, let me give you this backup corner for all your draft. It's like the Saints had this running back that, that or I guess what Ricky Williams was a was who the Saints drafted. So they made that trade, and it's like, okay, we really, really, really want this guy. We think he can change our, our team. He didn't, spoiler alert. We think <laughs> he can change our team, so we're going to give up our whole draft for him. There has to be that sort of like a want for what you're giving them. It's not like I, I go to McDonald's, um, which I'd never do. I don't think don't think I go to McDonald's. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's a very uh, solid, like, humble brag in the middle of a podcast. Like, I'm not trash. Like, yo, I would never go to a McDonald's. Have you seen that, uh, that Jim Gaffigan bit where he's like, yeah. if, I, if I saw a friend in McDonald's, I would rather tell him I was, like, meeting a hooker than that I was actually eating there. It's more shameful to eat there. Yes. Um, yeah. But, like, uh, back to what I can't, like, walk in and, like, say I want a Big Mac and it's $3. I'm like, well, I don't have $3 to give you, but I can give you $1. Like, that's not how this works. Like, there has to yeah. be equality. Yeah. It's, I mean, <laughs> it's, it, people have this idea that they can, they can spin this narrative any kind of way they want where it's like, yeah, I don't want Deion Lewis. Like, I think he's a bad running back. But other running backs or other people will love him. And it's like, well, hold on. Yes, like, there's, exactly. There's a disconnect. It's like the, you realize that there's other teams other than the Titans. Like, it's not like they're looking at just the Titans and like, well, maybe we can get that guy and make him work. It's like, no, they're looking at, you know, San Francisco. that has got three running backs. It's like, and if you look at it in that context, nobody would ever give up a, a pick for Deion Lewis that they wouldn't give up for 50 other running backs in the NFL if they would even consider it at all. So, yeah, I mean, that that is a bad take. Like, if you if you think you can just basically trick somebody, like, reverse psychology style into taking your trash and giving you something for it, that's, that's on you. What do you got, Will? Well, okay, so this – I stuck up for Tannehill earlier, so this is going to seem weird, but um, – just as a general collective, the idea, my stop the nonsense is the idea that Tannehill is this like secret unlocking factor to this offense. And that even though he's, he is managing to, you know, outperform the play call, he's not outperforming the talent on the roster. It's not like this is a roster built to score 10 points and he's scoring, you know, 25 points per game. Um, and I, I say this, and my specific example is um, Take Your Base Sports uh, at Take Your Base Pod had a had a quote tweet with a uh, or had a tweet with a video in it that said uh, Ryan Tannehill is the Messiah in the Tennessee. So in the okay. Tennessee, yeah, it was. It, it, said, it said in Tennessee, but it said in Tennessee Titans, and I almost I almost said in the Tennessee Titans and messed up. So no, that was that was my mistake. It it does that sounds just, like our friends at uh, at Sports Center Pro will the the best website. And one day we will do an entire deep dive into them and see. If, if, if you don't know what that is, there was one day we were recording our our old podcast for Titan sized, and like I googled something and stumbled upon this website called Sports Center Pro, which was like mostly plagiarized random sports articles intertwined with like 
unintelligible English. Yeah. The one article that, that I just remember was it was about Matt Castle when he was with the Titans, and the, the headline was Matt Castle time up in Titans question <laughs> mark. And like there would be, we we do need to do this at some point, but they they would quote like an Adam Schefter or something, just quote about who they are, and it would be like. Uh, it, it would just say like Matt Castle, eight year pro, this, 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 and then they would start, and you could tell where they start started. Like not that there were quotes or anything, you would just have to like figure out the parts that were clearly in English and like backwards engineer a search form. Yes. Then they would like then it would be as if it was translated from Russian in Google Translate, and it would be absolute nonsense. And then it would be like uh, Matt Castle. Six foot four, three hundred and twenty pound defensive tackle. And yes, it was, it was the weirdest thing I've ever read. And it's unfortunately been taken off the internet. Yeah, it's they've they've unfortunately shut it down and removed all traces. But I will devote so much time to trying to find trying to find old things that people have somehow linked to and find quote tweets from it because it is. It was truly like an art piece that I feel like more people should have appreciated. Um, back to your stop the nonsense. Yeah, back, back back to the actual stop the nonsense is the idea that Tannehill is anything more than a bridge quarterback is exactly what got Miami in trouble. It, it's what got them in the position where they had to give up everything and tank a whole season to get a quarterback in the future. So do not make the same mistake as Miami. That should always be your rule anyway. But – the idea that Tannehill is anything more than a guy who can keep this offense running at an average level is a bad idea. The plan long term, and I think we're all still on board with this, but I'm afraid that if the Titans go on a run that this shift is going to shift in a bad way. But right now the plan should be get through this season, try to make the playoffs. If you make the playoffs, great. Keep it going as long as you can. Win a Super Bowl. <laughs> and then uh, – <laughs> And then whenever the season is over, the whole job that John Robinson has is looking at the five big names at quarterback and figuring out, is it worth trading up into the top ten to get the future quarterback? Or is there somebody that we can trade up with you know, in the middle of the draft or somebody in free agency that we can get that might work better and weigh yeah. in those options? And we, we had the dis- – go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, well, I didn't mean to We were all steam ahead for the quarterback we're going to get that's going to take over in 2020 or maybe 2021 if it's a truly like long-term project. But everything from offensive coordinator to offensive line coach to all that stuff needs to be gutted and replaced this year. And then we're just putting out Tannehill as a guy who's going to hopefully keep our head above water until the other quarterback is ready. And we discussed a couple of weeks ago, which is what I was going to say a second ago, that uh, regardless of what happens the rest of the season, uh, maybe you bring Tannehill back, but you're drafting a quarterback regardless. Yeah, even if they win out, the the goal is still to bring up a new quarterback because we have seen enough of his body of work to know that eventually the other shoe is going to drop, and if this team gets any less talented, then that'll be sooner rather than later, but... I mean, I think people need to understand that this roster is pretty well constructed and the parts that it's not are not because there aren't good players there. It's because they've been poorly coached or, you know, it's 
you know, a, a, somebody that all signs pointed to them being successful and they just didn't do it, or somebody's gotten older at a position or something like that. But, I mean, this roster should be a 10-win roster in the NFL, especially in the AFC. So anything less than that is underperforming by the coach and the quarterback. And I, I know we'd all be it's as mad as we were about it six weeks ago. We'd all be excited to get to 9-7, and seven, especially if it got the Titans to the playoffs. But I cannot stress enough how Ryan Tannehill is not the answer long term, and I hope he gets a huge contract somewhere else and does great. But that can't be the Titans' solution. Absolutely. Well, it's been fun just being the two of us, though we do miss Matias, and he'll be back next week, presumably. Uh, Until then, uh, for Will and for the absent Matias, I am uh, Luke Horsham telling you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.